0: We're going to do a little kumbaya session. <laughs> Is this weird? Are you all okay with it? Yeah. Yeah, that's not a lot, so we'll just make it a little bit more comfortable. All right, y'all can hear me back there okay? All right, I'll pray for us then, and we'll get started. We'll open up the Bible and talk about Titus. We want to stop what we're doing before we come to your word and open it and just... Ask that you would reveal truth to us. Ask that as we read the book of Titus, that you would start to drive home truths that will be long lasting in our lives. Lord, we're aware that the whole study is trying to find you in every book of the Bible, and I pray that we would do that tonight. Lord, when you taught on the road to Emmaus, the people that heard their hearts burned. So we pray that tonight. You would cause our hearts to burn just with seeing who you are in Scripture and all the truths laid out for us, and we just commit ourselves to you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done, and make our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tonight's the book of Titus. It's 46 verses it's not a lot there it's almost at the end so obviously in the new testament towards the very end there's first timothy second timothy titus and philemon it's kind of the area that we are looking for you are matthew mark luke john acts romans so sort of towards the end of the new testament if you're looking for it and it's one of three books that are called the pastoral epistles They were all written uh, by Paul to people that he had kind of put in positions to be pastors and evangelists. Uh, Titus was not necessarily a pastor. He was an evangelist. He would kind of go circuit preaching uh, around to different areas and carry messages for Paul. So he's kind of, he's not like Pastor Tim necessarily. He'd be like a guest speaker if we had come through here, sort of like that setting. Uh, But very godly man. Paul definitely leaned on him a lot. Uh, And so the book is called Titus because Paul wrote a letter to Titus. It's weird. You know, roughly 2,000 years ago, Mm -hmm. the Apostle Paul, who was following, serving the Lord Jesus, wrote a letter to Titus to take to a church and to read it. And probably to kind of give Titus some credentials, probably give him some outlining of what to teach. 2,000 years later, we're doing the same thing. We're reading that letter. Same truths still apply. And a lot of the same stuff probably is going on. Um, it might be important to know that Titus was at a place called Crete. Crete's a little island right outside of Greece, uh, like 160 miles by 35 miles, kind of small. But being an island, the people there were kind of their own group of people, right? They were pretty notorious for being not great people. Since they were on an island, they did a lot of uh, you know sailing vessels, kind of would work as mercenaries, you know, for hire. So not really, you know, not baseball coaches kind of people, more people that like Vikings or pirates, sort of like that, you know, probably just not great people to spend the weekend with. So that's where Titus is trying to establish a church. So that kind of helps you maybe understand a little bit of, of what's, what's going on, who he is, and what he's doing. So if you're looking at it, how many pages in your Bibles does it take? Oh, so like six? six? Two pages front and back with a study Bible. Yeah, there's just not a lot here. Three chapters, and, and like I said, 46 verses. Um, it kind of breaks down into this. Like, I'll I'll tell you what's in it. I want to, since it's so short, it takes five and a half minutes to read it, we'll read it, and then we'll kind of talk about some of the points and maybe some of the applications with it. So, <laughs> y'all just doubled the numbers in the room. <laughs> in an instant. (laughs) Um, We've already started, so we're like into it. Um, So Paul opens up with kind of a greeting. There's one thing I want to point out in the greeting. We'll get to that. And the first thing he does is starts giving instruction to Titus. You know, hey, you're here to establish the churches. Here's how I want you to do it. Look for these certain type of men to put in place to lead the churches. That's the first thing that he does. The second thing that he does is he said look for these other type of men to stop them from talking, to stop them from having influence in the churches. So two things right at the bat. Uh, you know, put these guys in place. They're going to help establish and stop these people. They're going to tear down the churches. And then he kind of goes into uh, a second movement where he's speaking to Titus. He says, I, I need you to teach these things. And here's the kind of uh, things that he, he lays out different groups of people, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, bond servants. He kinda says, "You know, here's the people um, that you're gonna encounter and here's the kind of life that they need to exhibit. So that would be kind of the instruction to Titus to teach. And then lastly, he goes into what I would call like a reminding them. He talks about some truths of the gospel. And he talks about um, kind of just, again, some lists of some things to just remind them, some general, so it's, it's not a lot there. That's kind of the gist of it. Um, are y'all pretty comfortable with reading? Like if I wanted y'all to read some, would y'all be okay with that? Or you don't want me to read it at all? You good with it? You don't have to. <laughs> um, if you want to, why don't we kind of take a stab at it? Um, just read chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three like that. And that way I don't have to carry all the reading. And then I'll try to point out some stuff that might be beneficial for us. Okay.
1: Thank you. Do you want to read chapter 2? You, you want to? No. Hi, man. The ask for me teach what? Well, for us, talking about prayer. men who be still minded, dignified, self-control. Some and faith from love and accept that. What are women like-wise and to Reverent. Reverent, that's right, yep.
0: That's pilfering, which is kind of like stealing or, yeah. It's a (laughs) pilfering. the last,
1: remind, remind
0: to be to That's right. To be and to show perfect courtesy. Courtesy, yep. Yeah.
1: washing for generation, that's right.
0: Yeah, controversies, genealogies, dissensions. Yeah, they're throwing them all at us right there. <laughs> This, at this point, he starts going through weird names. We'll, we'll stop there. Like, that's just because those are hard to pronounce. But look, thank you all. I love hearing scripture read. You all did a great job. Um, so that's the book. Like, we just covered it in six minutes, you know. And the main points are obviously Paul is kind of throwing some things out to Titus. Whether it's I want you to teach this whether I want you to silence this person. Some of the things that I've noticed when I've been looking at this book that maybe are a little bit different than other books, in the very beginning, when Paul, in his greeting, in verse 2, he says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies. And I think all three of you all read from ESV. I've got ESV. I love it. The ESV says, uh, God who never lies. But the, the probably better way of putting that into English would be cannot lie. A lie is not in him, so it can't come out of him. So it's not just that he has never lied. God can't lie. Me and my kids were talking about that a week ago, and my daughter Jenna, my middle middle daughter, she looks at me and she says, well, can God lie? I'll say, well, no, he can't. If God told a lie, he would no longer be God. Because God, as he exists now, cannot lie. And if anything about him changed, he'd be something different. So some little things like that, uh, you know, we brought that out when we were talking about it, but here's something that I think is interesting. When you read chapter 1, in verse 12, it says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars. So that tells us that the kind of people that Paul and Titus, especially, are ministering to are known to be liars. And he's quoting this, this poet. It doesn't it matter. Anyway, that was, they were known to be liars. So I find it very interesting that Paul, in his uh, address to Titus, references God as not being able to lie. I think there's a connection there. I think a lot of stuff that Paul lists in here is actually targeting the people of Crete and what they might have been doing. So it's got me wondering if Paul was to write a letter to us in North Clay, and our culture you know, if we're, if we're trying to establish a church here. I wonder what the things would be that he would target. Because I don't know that people are just going to say North Clay people are notorious for liars. Lazy gluttons, evil, but I don't know that that's what they may. I, don't, I doubt that's it. So I started thinking about some of the things that we face in our society as a whole that you see in media and that you see um, almost on a daily basis. So like sexual confusion would be one. There's a lot of sexual confusion being spread and so I, I wonder if Paul was to write a letter to us, if he would say, hey, you know, God who created them male and female from the beginning. You know, I wonder if he would reference that because that's, that's what we face in our culture. Does that make sense? You know, that's the thing, that's the lies that are being uh, propagated and real prominent. There would be, and there's all kinds of stuff. You know, if you start looking at, um, yeah, I mean, you could probably come up with four or five or six without even really thinking about it. Maybe, you know, we pursue uh, popularity and fame for the sake of popularity and fame. You know, there are some people that rise to being popular and famous because they're a great athlete or they have something to contribute to society, but a lot of people now are seeking fame and popularity for the sake of being, you know, like YouTube influencers and stuff. They don't have anything to offer other than they have a bunch of people that know who they are. So I wonder if that would be something Paul would address. You know, you're looking for fame in in yourself as a culture um, when really all that matters is is the fame of Jesus on earth. You know, I wonder if Paul would have targeted us differently. And I don't know, because Paul didn't write us a letter. He didn't write, you know, but but I do see some connections where he says, you know, God who never lies. I believe he's targeting those people there. So I wanted to kind of open it up that it kind of helps you understand maybe some of what's going on in a letter to think in terms of who it's written to. Uh, There's probably a reason why he does that. I want to look at some of the lists that he gives because as you're reading did you all notice all the lists you know this person's got to be this 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 and this so the first list that he gives starting in verse 5 he says this is why I left you in Crete so that she might put what remained into order and again the ESV maybe doesn't put that in English as good as it could um, it's not putting what remained into order it's probably more like there's some things missing that need to be added There are some things that need to be you know, brought into the churches that are not there right now is probably a better way of saying that. So Paul is telling Titus, I left you there for a purpose with a mission and that mission was to put some things in place that aren't there right now. The first thing that he says is elders. Now that would be people that are leading the churches, right? You know, People that, and, and he says uh, in every town, as I directed you. So picking out some people that can lead the churches now maybe he didn't mean it this way but maybe he did probably if you're going to start telling somebody i've I've got a task for you the first thing that you mention might be the most important maybe you know hey i want you to build a house i want you to pour a pad of concrete why because that's the foundation if i told you hey i want you to build a house i need you to build a roof kind of going about that backwards it just makes sense right so if Paul's telling Titus, I need you to establish churches on Crete, this place that's there's, there's not a lot of godly character there, it seems, the first thing that you're going to need are some men that can do that. You can't do it alone. You've got to have some guys that can take up the Word of God and carry it out to these, these families, right? So that's where Paul starts. Moving on, he says, um, he starts giving a list of who these people should be. he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be, able to give, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Did he say that they got to be charismatic, rich, funny? Did he say that they've got to be able to, I don't know, like be successful? In the business world. it's, It's real interesting to me a lot of times to take something in Scripture and say, here's what's said, what is not said? And then kind of look out into our culture and wonder, is our culture actually saying the things that are not said? Just a thought, as I've been looking through that, I thought so many times, just say specifically for the position of a youth pastor, our church is looking for somebody that is charismatic, because they think if we can get somebody that's energetic and charismatic, and and fun to be around they'll build that ministry maybe there's some small truth to it you know maybe people are going to flock to that uh personality but that may not be the best way to build a church maybe you'll build something else doing that just a thought so always look at what's said and what's not said and i always you know try to to compare those two bounce them back and forth Um, this is interesting to me in verse six. The husband of one wife. And we're not gonna try to determine what that means exactly. I've got my thoughts, but I will say this. It does not, it's not said it doesn't say the wife of one husband. So it would lead me to believe if if all I've got is this book and somebody gives me this book and says, Build a church right? And I'm coming away, I'm saying, well, I guess that the leaders need to be men. And I'm not making that up. It just, it appears that. Would y'all kind of see where I come away with that conclusion? It appears that way, right? So that's something that I notice in this. And another thing, I know that we're looking at specifically the elders, but I think you could very easily say this is not just the elders that need to be this way, and here's why. You want to appoint men leading a church that will live in a way that people can follow after you want people modeling a type of lifestyle that those under will aspire to right if that's the case then i'm not an elder but i should be following people that are doing these things and i should be these things myself that just makes sense to me so, even though it's it's specifically for elders, and there is a standard for elders, you know, all of these things, I would say, biblically speaking, you know, you need to meet these qualifications to be an elder at a church. But me not being an elder, I can look at them and say, that's what I want in my life. I want a life that's above reproach, I want to be the husband of one wife, I want my children to be believers, you know, all of these things I want for myself and for my family and for every family in the church. So. I'm gonna kind of take away that okay. That's for somebody else. I don't have to worry about it. I don't think that that exists. Yes.
1: I was gonna say, since we're all girls in here, wouldn't it be maybe fitting to for the girls to think of someone I'm gonna date or a husband I'm gonna possibly have? Like you would want to look for those qualities in, right? That's a great that would
0: point. Be like, for us to take away. So that's my beautiful wife, Jessica, and I love her with my whole heart. And I'm really glad she said that because I think like a guy and she thinks like a girl. And that's a great point. Like if, if I swap that, right? And I'm a girl sitting in the seat, I'm thinking, well, gosh, she's talking about all these guy qualities. What am I supposed to, do? she's exactly right. Like the best thing you could do as a girl is say, seems like there's some standards out there for godly men to meet. Maybe I need to be looking for men that meet those standards. Maybe if, if I have you know, a desire to have a loving relationship with a husband, I'm going to look for a man that's got those qualities. So that's an awesome point. Um, and I don't, I, I'm going to try, like, I've, I've had kind of a direction I wanted to take the lesson, and I'm changing it some because this is a completely different setting. I like this. This is fun. All right, so then, if we move on from the qualifications for elder section, we come up to the next section. Here's where Paul you could almost say he's he's mean, honestly, if you kind of look at what he's doing. Um, it doesn't feel loving, but it actually is. He says this, it's starting in verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, that means you don't deal well with authority, uh, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, that would kind of be grouping together the Jews mostly. And He says they must be silenced. You want to know what that, looks like. Have y'all ever had somebody talking and you just put your hand over their mouth? It's like, stop. Stop talking. You're making yourself sound like an idiot. And that's kind of what he's saying. It's like, it's like to gag somebody. So, and not, I don't think Paul is literally saying, go up to everybody and put your hand over. But that's the language that he's using. It's kind of colorful language. Uh, and it's not nice. But if we compare that with if, if I love somebody and they're at all under my charge and care. And somebody else is coming with destructive ideas. I'm going to tell that person to stop talking. You know, if somebody came up to my children and started telling them, hey, you you need to be disrespectful to your parents. They don't know what's best for you. They want, you know, all kinds of harm. I'd say, you got to stop. Stop. I would gag him. I'd put my hand over his mouth. And the same thing for a leader of a church, right? They're going to have that, um, that love for the people that they're caring for. So, moving on, uh, we've already looked at verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, so not good. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. And again, this doesn't seem nice. Rebuke them sharply, but we see that they may be sound in the faith. There's a benefit to rebuking somebody if they're off off base. So even even though it looks mean, it looks aggressive, there's, there's love behind it. There's benefit behind it. You want what's best for somebody. So we're going to skip past, we might come back to that verse 16, but we're going to skip past that for right now, starting in chapter 2. And this is moving to the next section where he kind of starts telling Titus, here's the things I need you to be doing. So he said, here's the people I need you to put in place. Here's the people I need you to put a sock in their mouth. <laughs> here's the things I need you to teach. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And again... I've been thinking through this, and I thought, well, what is he not saying? And I want to be careful, and y'all are all smart, so y'all will read through what I'm saying and not mistranslate it. But what he doesn't say is, I want you to have lots of programs in place. Uh, he doesn't say, I want you to have, you know, ministries for every age group and make sure, hey, you know, there's some, there are some things he doesn't say. He simplifies it. And like I said, y'all are smart. So the point of me saying that is not to say those things are bad. It does not matter if you have a pancake breakfast, you can do that. But what we need to make sure that we're doing as a church is that it's linked back to teaching sound doctrine. That's the primary uh, role of the church. If they're, if they're as an organization teaching sound doctrine, that is the best way to give people deep roots and that is the best way to influence that community and spread the gospel beyond that church walls, and that that's the picture that we see here. So here's here's another example of that. Um, let's just say we open up all the doors on the front of this building, stop traffic, and everybody that drives down this road, we direct them in here. There's a good bet we're going to have a lot of believers and unbelievers mixed in at that point, correct? Because we're just directing anybody and everybody. Not everybody in the world is going to be born again saved. So. At that point, we got a church full of believers and unbelievers. Is that even a church? It stopped being a church because a church is a body of believers. You know, Iglesia called out ones. You know, people that are born again, regenerated, following the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what a church is. And the point of the church is you come together, you grow, and then that spreads. And that, that's the picture that we see over and over in the New Testament. Not the opposite. You don't bring in from the outside and grow. You grow from within. Just like a seed goes into the ground and is small, but it's pure and contains everything needed for that plant. And it sprouts and it grows and it benefits the earth. A church kind of follows that same picture. It grows from within. And that starts with teaching sound doctrine. And again, if I'm thinking about Jess and what she's thinking over there, um, you know, maybe your role would not be to teach it. But good grief, y'all. If you know the words in this book, if you read it and hide those words in your heart and believe it, that's doctrine. And some of the stuff that's even listed in here, you know, Mm -hmm. y'all are definitely not older women. You're not. So maybe the list for older women is not the one that you look to, but the younger women, like there's a list in here for y'all that Paul says, teach these things to the young women. They need to know them. It might not hurt to read that list every once in a while and say, huh, what does God's word say for me? As a young woman, what are some of the things that I can reevaluate and say, am I exhibiting these things? Um, a lot of it has to do with kids, husbands and, and homes you know, I don't know what the Lord's got planned for your life, but there's, there's probably some stuff in there that as you're reading, it's going to affect the way that you think about life, and it's going to, to challenge you and probably move you towards godly character, move you towards a godly life. If you're looking for that list, it starts in chapter 2, uh, verse 4. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. And so that'd be the the list. If I was in your seat, I would say, I kind of want to know what what things are said. Uh, I'm going to go off topic for a second because I've got you all three. And I want to try, if I can, to give you all something that, that might help. Growing up, when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, thinking about being older, thinking about, marriage, the potential for that, uh, in the Lord's forming my thoughts and trying to shape me, uh, something stuck out to me. Everybody I would talk to, they would talk about finding the right person. That's the language that they would use. Maybe that's not exactly what they meant, but they would all say, you know, I can't wait till I find the right person. I'm looking for the right person. I dated that person. We broke up. Moved. Everybody's looking for the right person. Something struck me all right, I'm going to try to give you all this. Maybe it will be a benefit, maybe not. I decided that instead of looking for the right person, I was going to be the person that the right person would want to be with. So if I wanted a godly wife, if I wanted a wife that was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, there was no way she was going to be interested in me if I was a worldly man, right? Right? she would pass by me because she's looking for a godly husband. So I stopped thinking I'm trying to find the right person. So I'm going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to be the person that when the Lord provides a godly wife, we're a good match. We go hand in hand with each other. You know, I'm not trying to catch up to her. I wanted to be that. I wanted to be the person that would attract the kind of person that I wanted to be with. Does that make sense? Maybe that helps, maybe not. Uh, relationships are one of the biggest deals on earth, and marriage marriage is the hard one so the more digging y'all can do early on to know what it is that you that you're that you need to be to attract that godly man, uh, I think the better and honestly it's it 's not that complicated you know reading scripture, letting it convince you of the things that you need to do um, in your life it's it's actually pretty simple it's the doing them that's hard that's what i found the whole book of titus what i've realized there's nothing in here that's hard to understand there's not any theological or doctrine things that i'm just like i don't know what to do with this but it's one of the most challenging books i've taught with in the 46 verses because it's all about doing it's very practical boots on the ground living but here's the key to it This is what I've realized. So we've kind of gone over the the elders, the people that need to stop talking. The list is how that kind of hits each of us. Watch this. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, what does that say? Present age. Is that tomorrow? It's today. It's today. Those things right there. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, just right now. None of this living right, none of this godly character, none of this in following and obedience in the footsteps of Christ. None of it will actually matter unless it is the grace of God bringing salvation. And it's that that's training us to renounce ungodliness. And again, y'all have been at this church for a long time. Y'all know the difference between what we call works-based salvation. And that idea that if you do enough good things, if your life is uh, exemplary, if you follow Jesus well enough, that at one point you'll die and go to heaven and God say, you did good, that would all be works-based salvation. And those are the people that when they're standing in front of the Lord, they said, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and many mighty works in your name? And God says, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. You know, it's the person that they're they're showing, these are the works I have to show you. God, here's my good works. And and we have that example in scripture that shows very clearly that, that that's not salvation. And here, Paul puts the order correctly for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to run out. And then he gives the list. So the whole point is that it's salvation working in us. And that's that's probably the whole point of the book is that salvation is transformative. Salvation is transformative. James talks about this. He says, "You, you tell me that you have faith and you do well. Show me your faith by your works. And so what he's getting down to is, you know, if I told you that I'm, it, again, kind of going back to that example. If I told you, if I, if I told you I'm an NFL player, which you can look at me and tell I'm not, but if I told you that, and you'd say, well, what team do you play on? Like, uh, I'm not currently on a team. So, like, what team have you played on? Uh, I haven't actually played for any teams. Okay. Well, do you play football? Uh, I don't really play. F- at some point you're like, you are not an NFL player. You're not a football player. Do you even play sports? What are you, nerd? Like, you know, what are you madden on Xbox? You know? So at some point you start to discredit that. James is getting at that idea. You know, there's lots of people that that say that they follow Christ. Following Christ isn't done in here. That's thinking, but that's not following Christ. Jesus didn't sit on earth and think. If feet. He had hands, he spoke, he moved through crowds, and he was very present on this earth, meeting people's needs, teaching people. So if we're going to follow that, there's got to be something somewhere along the line that you're, you, you start exhibiting that. And if we go back to the end of chapter 1, we actually see a verse. Paul kind of targets that. Because this is what he says, talking about those people that need to be silenced. He said, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. And then he absolutely destroys them here. He says, they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So he's pointing to the same truth that James would point to. Here's here's the reality of that. Girls, if if there's one thing that you'd come away from tonight with, uh, it would be this. If you have a claim, a belief in Jesus, that claim, somewhere along the lines, is going to result in works. You ought to agree with that. Somewhere along the line, there's going to be... How about this? Uh, when a baby is born physically, at some point that baby's going to cry because it's hungry, and you're going to feed the baby. And some point later, it's going to cry again, and you're going to feed the baby. And if that baby ever stops crying You you wonder if the baby's alive because that baby wants that nourishment because it is alive. There's a similarity between that and being born again, which Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3. You have to be born again. When you're born spiritually, at some point you're going to cry because you need to be nourished. And you're going to be nourished and that will last for a time and then you're going to cry because you need to be nourished. And there's that constant intaking, right? And so if you're born again spiritually, spiritually, You're going to have some movement somewhere along the line. You're going to be walking around somewhere spiritually. People are going to be able to see they made a decision different than what I would have made. Why? You know, why would that girl have said no to that really cute football player that asked her out? Why would she have done it? Because it seems like that would have been the easy choice. Well, maybe he wasn't the godly man that you're looking for. You know, somewhere along the line, decisions will be made that if you compare them to the world, they're going to look different. They just will, you know. Does that make sense? I mean, I know that makes sense. Y'all are tracking right along with me. And I think if you had to probably take the book of Titus and sum it up, it's going to be summed up in those things that your faith will be lived out in a very real way on this earth. All right, so let's move on. In chapter 3, which you got to read, And it's got both my favorite and my least favorite verses in it in the whole book. Um, Paul couldn't help himself, y'all. He's giving all of this instruction to Titus, but Paul still has to hammer home these truths of salvation. In verse 5, he says this He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul, again, he spells it out, and it's clear. And if you look for it, you see it. He says, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Again, affirming the truth. We don't stand before the Lord and claim works. We don't. It doesn't work. And we don't come to the Lord and say, I think I've got something to offer you in a good way. We don't. It doesn't work. Paul nails it. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And that's a truth about God. God is a merciful God. And he has mercy on those whom he will. And there are humans that were not seeking God that he decided to have mercy on. That's a powerful truth. All right. Any questions about the book? Anything? All right. Here's what I want to do then. So if we've kind of talked about the book, you know, the whole mission of this, the Emmaus Road, is to find Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of this. So talked about the book, talked about the people in it. Here's what I want to do. All through the Old Testament, finding Jesus was looking for shadows and typology. We would find Jesus in the ark, because we would say that Jesus is the thing that protects us from God's wrath. And you know, if you're in Jesus Christ, as God's wrath is poured out on earth, you are saved, right? As we look through um, through Israel, when when they're out, out in the uh, wilderness and they're afflicted with serpents, right? Which is a, is a thing that's killing them. And God says, I want you to raise up a bronze serpent, and anybody that's afflicted, if they look at that bronze serpent, they'll be healed. And it makes no sense until, until he realized that Jesus Christ became the thing that was killing us. Right? There's all these shadows and types. But we're in the New Testament. Jesus has walked earth. He's here. Are we still looking for shadows and types? And here's the reality of it. Now we're looking at emulation. Now we're looking at following. The reason... The reason that Paul tells Titus to teach sound doctrine is because Jesus taught sound doctrine. And so all we're doing is following his example. How many times when you're reading through the Gospels do you see Jesus sat and taught them? You know, Jesus went onto a boat and taught them. Jesus is a teacher. I looked up, I've got a list. There's a whole bunch of places where if you just look up the word teacher and Jesus, they're like that. Over and over, Jesus teaching. And over and over, he's bringing his disciples in and he's teaching them, and we're at, right now, we're at the second generation, because you've got the disciples, and Paul's kind of brought into that in a weird way, and then you've got Titus, but throughout all of church history, all we've done is emulate that. Jesus taught, his disciples taught, the disciples' followers taught, we're still teaching, so that's where you would find Christ. You start looking through this, there's not a single thing listed, here. As a matter of fact, if I would challenge you, like, look through the list. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. You think Jesus was above reproach? He was perfectly righteous. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Think about that, greedy for gain. You know, Jesus said that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's hard to be greedy for gain when you don't even have a home. You know, Jesus was not greedy for gain. He didn't have any earthly possessions in that way. It says, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled. I was thinking about the self-control, you know, when Jesus was taken out in the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days, all all alone out in the wilderness. And then after 40 days of fasting, uh, he was tempted. You know how much self-control that takes to not eat for 40 days. And that's just one example of Jesus being self-controlled. That's him having, um, you know, mastery over his appetite. Look at this. I, I'm not joking. I've, I've, I could go on and on, but I'm just going to point out a few. In chapter 2, verse 9, because this is talking about bond servants, and, and Paul says this, bond servants are to be submissive To their own masters and everything. So I was thinking, where do you find Jesus in that? Do you all remember the night before he was betrayed and arrested? He's praying with the disciples, and you all know what he says uh, You know, Lord, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's ultimate submission. I'm telling you, you find Christ in every one of these lists. Jesus was the first one. He was the first one to exhibit all of these. And all we're doing, all these lists are, is an appeal to be Christ-like. Follow in Christ's example. Live a life not for this world, but for the kingdom of heaven. Live a life not for your own fame, but for the fame of Jesus. Live a life not for your comfort, but kind of like what Paul says in in one, uh, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. You know, that, that's what we're called to do. We're not called to just believe. We're called to follow. You know, when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't go out while they're fishing and say, believe this. He said, come, follow me. That's what the Christian life uh, is, is fleshed out in is your actions. The godly characters of God-fearing men and women who are completely souls to the fact that every word in here is true and dictates how they live their life. That's what the book of Titus is all about. It's that, like I said, the boots on the ground, how, how is the gospel, you know, how has that infiltrated your life? And how are you exhibiting those things in your life? So, I love the book. It's, it's actually one of the harder books. I like some of the other books, like Daniel, where you can just find Christ in it and look at another person's character. This one has kind of been challenging. Uh, for me, because as I'm looking at, as I'm reading this list, I'm just over and over getting getting beat up. Scripture does that to you. You don't see it physically, but your spirit kind of gets black and blue with bruises, and you start realizing I've got some distance to cover. You know, I've got some ground to make up. Um, anyway, I hope that was encouraging. I hope that I hope that makes sense. You know, Titus is all about defending the gospel against those people that are trying to tear it down and living a life and preaching the gospel that counteracts it. So I'll pray for us now. We would want to thank you so much for scripture, for all of it, for all the, the ways that we see Jesus in it. Jesus, thank you so much for everything that you did every single time we read about you in scripture. We're so grateful. We're grateful that during your temptation, you resisted that. We're grateful that at the garden you said, Not my will, but your will be done. We're grateful for all of your your teaching. When you sat on a boat and taught, would every every single thing that you did. Thank you so much for your life, for your perfect obedience to the Father. Thank you that you've sent the Holy Spirit, the helper. We we need Your perfect, righteous life. We need the Helper, the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for these three girls. I pray that you would do a mighty work in their life. Make yourself evident in their life. That you would give them a burning in their heart to follow after you. That you would call them out. That you would do that you would do all these things that we're reading about in Titus in their life. Cuz you have the power to do it. So we ask you for it. And when we love you. We know we don't love you in a way that you deserve. And we fall so short. I pray that that would change more and more every day and that each day ahead we do genuinely love you more and that our love is carried out in obedience. And that we would renounce this world and the, the pleasures in it for the sake of knowing you. We we'll make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.